Welcome to the Revenue Engine Podcast. I'm your host, Rosalind Santa Elena, and I am thrilled to bring you the most inspirational stories from revenue generators, innovators, and disruptors, revenue leaders in sales, in marketing, and of course, in operations. Together, we will unpack everything that optimizes and powers the revenue engine. Are you ready? Let's get to it. When I first met Steve Goldberg, the CRO of SalesLoft, we had an immediate connection. We were very much aligned in our thoughts around how the chief revenue officer and the VP of revenue operations have a unique partnership and how critical that partnership is to the success of the revenue organization. Steve is one of my favorite people and definitely a leader I would love to partner with. During our discussion, Steve shares some great insights, especially around the importance of driving customer value, making data-driven decisions, and having scalable processes to optimize the revenue engine. He also shares how he keeps his team motivated, how mentors have influenced his professional journey, and even a few surprises at the end. So take a listen, and I'm sure you'll understand why he's one of my favorite people. So I am super excited to be here today with Steve Goldberg, the CRO at SalesLoft. Welcome, Steve, and thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. It's great to see you again. It's great. So when I was asked to start the Revenue Engine podcast, you know, there were a handful of revenue leaders that immediately came to my mind. You know, given our interactions in the past, I thought you would be the perfect CRO for me as a revenue operations leader to chat with about driving and optimizing revenue, especially through the strategic uh, business partnership between the CRO and the VP of RevOps. So having been a previous SalesLoft customer, I'm also very familiar with the company and the product. Uh, For those listeners who may not be as familiar with SalesLoft, SalesLoft is the highly rated sales engagement platform that recently raised $100 million, taking the company officially to unicorn status with a a valuation of $1.1 billion, and that is billion with a B, (laughs) dollars. So congratulations on that as well, Steve. Thank you. It's, it's been uh, an interesting year, but also a very, very exciting year as well. Definitely. And we'll, let's get into that a little bit too. But before we talk about it, let's talk a little bit about your journey, right? Yep. That led you to becoming SalesLoft's CRO last year. You know, you've had an amazing career in sales. You were there at Salesforce in the very early days. I believe you spent almost 10 years of your career there, right? Before moving on to companies like Fuse, um, InsideSales.com, and then Yext, right? Before joining SalesLoft. So can you um, share a little bit about your journey and then some of the, maybe the key milestones that have led you to where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. It really goes way back to like my, my father really instilled integrity and work ethic into us as we were young, young kids, me and my brother, we had a wholesale food business. I'm kind of like with Rocky with a hanging meat and <laughs> I, I learned how to, you know, drive trucks and just drive, you know, pack, pack meat and like really just work like, you know, and, and really instill that into us. And um, I remember one time when I was in college, I met, I met someone that, you know, there's certain, in certain points of your life, there's specific conversations that just are like those aha moments that you're like, 
that clicked. And I'll never forget this conversation I had with somebody, which was I always knew how to work hard and I was taught to work hard. And like I said, I was taught to have integrity. And if I, you say you're going to do something, you do it. And if you can't do it, you come back and tell somebody why. Um, but I remember I was, I was waiting for my parents and I was, I was sitting at a restaurant and um, I turned over and, and I had a conversation with this person who was sitting at the bar and, and um, he said, Hey, it looks like you're about to graduate college. And I said, yeah, he goes, if I can give you any advice, he said, learn your trade first before you're ready to take that next step in your career. Because a lot of people take that next step in their career when they're not necessarily ready for it. And just make sure you really learn your, your trade and that you're, you know, you, you uh, do the job you want to get. And so I really, I, I don't still to this day, don't know who that person was, who I talked to, but it stuck in my mind. And, and so when I got into this, the industry and, and I started off at, at Salesforce, um, my objective was to be a really strong professional and understand sales. Like at first I would thought of, you had to be really aggressive and that you had to just make as many phone calls. You had to have as many conversations and, and, um, and then I realized that there was a process and there was an, an art and a science to selling and that people were also involved, that people, we weren't machines. And you had to really get to know the person that you were working with and figure out what their motivation was. I was a psychology major in college. And so really understand like the motivation behind it. And, um, and I, being a, an enterprise software salesperson, with a fast growing company with a great territory is probably one of the best jobs you can have. And, um, and I, I was able to experience that when I was at Salesforce. Um, and then there was a point in my career when I started, I got married and I had kids and I realized that, you know, there was, it just, when you start to have kids, it kind of changes your perspective. And, and, and I, I ended up moving into management and realized that, you know, now I get to help like that person I met taught me how to learn my trade. I get to help and develop other people in their career and, and make an impact in their career. And, and I was just really motivated on, you know, really teaching and coaching and learning. And I've had so many great mentors in my career and, and some, you know, some, some managers you've had, you almost learn sometimes more from managers you've had that um, you may not have thought were the best managers than managers you had that you thought were the greatest managers. And so, but they're all good at what they do in certain ways, but you uh, just had the chance to learn a lot from a lot of different people. And so um, I, I really, you know, and I continue to do that and continue to have those mentors. Yeah, you definitely have talked about a lot of mentors in your past. I've seen you speak um, in different uh, panels and such talking about sort of the mentors and bringing those folks together, I think at one of the sales loft events yeah. um, that I attended. So is there a particular mentor that you would like to highlight and kind of say this person, you know, really influenced maybe some of the choices that you made, or maybe you were going a certain direction and that mentor said, no, 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 Steve, stop. You need to go this other direction, something pivotal. Yeah. And there, so there's, there's really three. So you heard the podcast. So Susan St. Leisure is one of my, uh, definitely a, a mentor of mine. And I was fortunate enough to do a, 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 an interview with Susan and St. Ledger, who's now the CRO of Okta and David Renitsky, who's now the CRO at Yext. And um, they both taught me two different things. Like what, what Susan taught me was, you know, really have, have empathy and manage people to their strength and help them overcome for what some of their weaknesses may be. And there's a lot of managers that focus on people's weakness, but, you know, really focus on helping them with their, their strength. And so in certain situations, 
where I would come to Susan for advice, she always constantly reminded me of that. Um, and Dave is a very big process person mm-hmm. where you, you don't, if you have one person doing great, but everyone else is doing okay, it means that your process is broken. So really focus on the process and, and help, help ha- have a framework in place that is flexible, that people can make pieces of it their own. Mm-hmm. But if everybody worked in the same process in the same structure, leveraging the same nomenclature, so you're all speaking the same language. Because yeah. if you start, if you have a team of 10, it's okay. But when you start to have a team of 20, 30, 40, it can get completely out of hand. If you have 50, 60, 70 people doing things 50, 60, 70 different ways, you're just creating confusion with everybody and a, and a lot of waste of time. That makes a lot of sense. So now I know where you get your process background from. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's talk about Sales Loft a little bit more. Right. Sales Loft has experienced such incredible growth, right, over the last few years. It's just, it's really remarkable to see the company continuing to be recognized by G2, right, as the leader in the sales engagement category. And even if I think about the term, you know, sales engagement, right, it really wasn't really even a common term until just a few years ago. So as the leader in the space, like what have you seen in terms of, you know, in the market in terms of trends, you know, how, how has it evolved and, you know, where do you see it going? So there's a generational shift going on right now with, with how people work. And I personally feel like that shift is as big as the shift from client server to the cloud. That, you know, that shift was all about helping people be, be more agile, being more flexible. And, um, you know, it, was, it became about security, but it, it was a shift. This shift is about how do you help people be productive and efficient working from anywhere? Our organization went from supporting a couple thousand networks to millions because we have to be able to work and make people productive working from, help people be productive working from anywhere. And and so with that shift, we're only in the beginning of that shift. Um, If you think about where we are now versus where we were last March, where we were in the middle of the summer, and now buyers are using the same technology that sellers would use in the past and people are adapting to new technology. So companies, out, so companies outside of our current ICP that we started with, they sell into high-tech companies. Mm-hmm. Those companies are starting to put sales engagement higher on the priority list because they're really looking for ways to digitalize their sales, sales organization to really make that interaction between that salesperson and that first-line manager productive, but also make them both productive in a remote environment. And then there's companies outside of our ICP, mm-hmm. like in financial services and manufacturing and logistics and telco and media that are also trying to solve a lot of these same problems. And they're all going through the digitalization of sales, to make people productive. So sales acceleration is just starting to accelerate mm-hmm. and organizations are trying to say, I have a problem here, solve this here, make, and then our objective and our strategy is if we can help focus on the customer and the customer's success with a specific use case and make that successful and prove that out. Then you start to look at other areas that you can start to enhance, but really focusing and being very focused on um, driving productivity and customer success in this world, because it's not just about the technology. Mm -hmm. This is not about here's sales loft and roll it out. It'll make it successful. It's leveraging the insights that you get out of the data and the usage to enhance that and help our customers not only go through sales engagement, but we're helping them go through the shift of going digital. Mm -hmm. We have 
kids out there that are typically walking into a Walgreens or a Walmart or knocking on doors, selling, selling technology or selling product. Now they're all of a sudden having a shift to be working at home. So our job is to also help them make that transition, make that transformation. So it's more than just technology. Process is a big part of it. That makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, and the wonderful thing about, you know, being rated um, highly on G2 is that those ratings are actually from customers, right? To your point yeah. about customer and driving value around that. You know, having been a customer previously, I've, you know, personally experienced the kind of the put customer first mentality mm -hmm. that is actually one of Sales Loft's um, core values, right? Along with focus on results and bias towards action. And I know you have some other ones as well. So you shared a little bit about customer, um, kind of driving customer success and value, but can you share a little bit more about sort of what your philosophy is around that kind of driving customer success, driving value, and how do you see that that's actually contributed to sort of the revenue acceleration and the growth of Sales Loft? Yeah, so we just had our revenue kickoff this week, and um, Sydney Sloan and I, who's our CMO, um, we gave a talk about this, and a lot of companies talk about being a customer first organization, but doing that is, is a different thing. And um, we talked about, first you got to put yourself and think about you as a consumer and of great experiences that you've had just in your own life. And one of mine was Chick-fil-A. I have three kids. <laughs> Going to a Chick-fil-A is an incredible experience. It's, they make it like it's easy and <laughs> and it's, it's, they have you know, great chicken nuggets and great fries, no different than probably others out there, but the experience to go through a Chick-fil-A is a wonderful experience. And another experience is like flying one airline versus the other. One airline may have a much, make you feel much like, like a great experience, but at the end of the day, they, they both have planes. Right. So the way we look at the customer experience is we want our customers to have a great experience. And let's face it, it's technology and there's always going to be challenges. And we spend a lot of time on making sure that one, we're investing in our culture and our resources to make sure our employees feel are, are very happy and they've got the right tools within themselves and processes. And we invest in their team health. We do all of the, the right things to help train them and invest. So, so they show up to work like they're happy, like they, they are, they're a pleasure to be with. Mm -hmm. And that comes off when we interact with our customers. And that's a big, big piece of it. You know, the other piece is really thinking about proactively our customer journey. And we, we look at that, it's not a one size fits all. The way we handle the enterprise is going to be different than how we handle our commercial business and how we handle our business internationally. So we went through a six month evaluation of our end-to-end -end current process when I got there. And we outlined the current state in our processes across each one of those segment, segments. And what we realized that there was, we've grown organically um, within our silos and we were a fast growing company that's grown really fast. So where we, and Sean Fowler, who was our head of enablement ran this. And what we realized that there was a number of, of inefficiencies that we can tighten up around the customer by putting the customer in the middle. Mm. And so we're going to continue to iterate on each segment separately. And we've made some changes across each segment with the point of view of the customer experience and putting the customer in the center of it. And, um, 
And we're rolling that out as we go into this year. So like for an example, in the enterprise, a lot of it's around value-based, value engineering, value realization. Mm -hmm. um, in the commercial side, it's role clarity around the different handoffs and their specific roles. And then compensation and motivation goes into that as well. So I can talk about this for forever. <laughs> this, is a, this, is a big, this is a big area for us. And, and to us, it's all around, it's all around how we're going to help our customers adopt, be successful, and then address their business outcomes. Yes. So we'll be up, up front. We'll try to learn up front. What are you really trying to achieve? Mm -hmm. And then we're constantly going to come back to you and tell you how you're doing based on what the insights are telling you. And then we're going to be very prescriptive and proactive around what we're recommending. That's awesome. That is great. I mean, I think if nothing else, we've all learned that, you know, customer first is so critical to our business, right? And helping our customers not look at them as customers, but really as partners and folks that we're trying to be successful together. So that's amazing to hear. Um, you know, talking about customers, you know, I think we've all been impacted by COVID, right? And the global yeah. pandemic, you know, both from a yeah. business perspective as well as from a personal perspective. And when we spoke last year, I remember you shared with me that you were actually seeing sort of an accelerated growth at SalesLoft, um, maybe because the platform was becoming more of a must have for prospects and customers than sort of a nice to have, right? With everybody moving remote and virtual coaching and all of these different things, if anything, the platforms become a necessity. Mm -hmm. So can you share uh, maybe a little bit more about how, um, how this has sort of impacted your business as well as maybe some lessons learned or things that you now do differently? It, it, it goes back, it also goes back to customer success because if, if you, if, if one, if we help you and we're out here to sincerely help you solve a problem, you're going to talk to other people about your experience with us. And so you have to focus on the customer first and making sure, like when we call you up, it's not going to be about, is the product working for you? It's, is the product working for you? But are we helping you get the outcomes that we set out for? Um, but the other piece is, is that we have to be able from a technology standpoint and where we're going with our product. It's very much driven on how do we integrate with how people work? Because a lot of technologies out there kind of force you to change. They force you to adapt to their, their way of working. And so our, our perspective is, is if we integrate with how you work, so you can start to get real objective data out of the, the reporting because it's what people are actually doing. And then you can start to compare that with what they're saying they're going to do. So you get different levels of, of data, but it's, and with the fact that COVID hit and that people are on Zooms and go to meetings and Google Meets and Teams and they're having their communications that way. And they're, you know, they're, they're still picking up the phone and making phone calls and sending emails and chats. And we have to integrate with all of that. So then you start to get real accurate data. So there, there's a process and a technology component of it. And, um, and it, is, it is a bit different. Like as we go into financial services or as we go into manufacturing or as we go into telco media, they don't all work the same. So we have to be really smart about use case driven. And it goes back to what I was saying earlier is we'll come in there and say, here's a use case. And we're also, we'll focus on that use case. And then from there, based on the data, we'll go into other use cases. And so it's more of a seed and grow methodology where we can help grow. And we're naturally being pulled into the middle of the funnel. Where in the past, a lot of companies bought sales engagement for pipeline generation. Mm -hmm. Now it's for middle of the funnel to towards the uh, further of the funnel. And also in renewals, 
the renewal process and the customer success process as well are is getting a lot of a lot of activity there too. That's awesome. That's so that's great to hear. I just I love hearing about customer. I love hearing about data and process. <laughs> you know, I'm a data driven, <laughs> process oriented person. So love that. Um, so let's pivot with that kind of pivot a bit to an area of passion for me. Right. Selfishly, I think that, you know, rev the revenue operations function, right, especially the RevOps leader is a powerful sort of secret weapon, right, for the revenue team and the CRO. You know, we've talked at length about how critical the partnership is, right, between your role and my role, right, the rev how the RevOps leader is really the eyes and ears, right, the chief of staff, the right-hand person, the person that sort of helps see the blind spots, right, helping to identify blind spots and see around corners, and so hopefully you still feel the same way and assuming you do for other CROs um, or revenue leaders who are not leveraging this secret weapon, um, what would you tell them? I guess, how do you best leverage your ops leader to really help enable and optimize your business? I think the biggest mistake a CRO could make is if they don't hire, if they don't hire a revenue operations leader who can do exactly what you just said. Because the CRO role has changed, and it's kind of like think about how, how did Blockbuster mix the opportunity that Netflix just completely took over the market, and um, and the CRO. I don't know. I may get in a lot of trouble for saying this, but <laughs> I, think like, I feel like the, the CRO pre-COVID or from five to ten years ago, it's a very different role as it is today. And um, if you don't leverage data. To, to help make decisions and you're, you're making a big mistake. And the CRO is no longer, in my view, someone who's going to stand up on stage and get people really excited and, and go out to dinner and shake hands and, you know, close deals. And, you know, you want to do some of that for sure. Don't get me wrong. But mm -hmm. I, I view that CRO is more of an architect and a designer and a strategist and an enabler. And my job is, is to help untie knots so the organization can be productive. Now you have to identify what are the big knots you want to untie. Right. Because you can't untie every knot because you have to identify like what are the big, big rocks that you need to solve that are really going to move the needle? And what are the big priorities that you need to focus on in order to move the needle? Because otherwise, if you don't do that, you'll end up running in place. And so the partnership between the, the revenue leader and the revenue operations leader is so critical to identify what are the big rocks? What is the data telling us? Mm -hmm. Do we, should we go into this vertical? What is the data telling us? Should we go into this country? Should we go into this market? If we do what country, if we do what, how do we approach it? What's our template? Do we look at, how do we look at each segment? If we're looking at the, the business around our forecast, what are the leading indicators that are telling us if we're at risk or not? And if we're at risk in certain areas, how do we overinvest to, to make that change really quick? And you can't do it by putting your finger up there and taking a guess based on your gut. You just can't. You might get it right once. <laughs> and, and, um, and so that, but that, that partnership is not just with the CRO and the head of RevOps. That partnership is with RevOps integrating into the business. And it's integrating into every business segment. So every business segment would have a revenue operations leader a partner there and um, we're all on the same page in terms of how we're measuring the business, but you have the flexibility with your revenue operations leader to look at data the way you want to look at the data. 
and it goes back to what I was saying about Dave Vernitsky is that if you have a consistent framework that everybody can work in, but the flexibility to, to work it the way you want to work it and how Susan taught me was manage people to their strength, but give them the power and the enablement to make their own decisions. Right. And, and so that's how I think about it. And, but it's that partnership is so critical, especially as the CRO is not, it seems like the CRO to me has changed where it, the CRO used to CRO ran sales in the past, but now companies are measuring the, the way you grow is you measure the business by net ARR. So the difference of bookings and, and churn, and you have to continue to, to spread that because that's how you grow. Mm-hmm. It, right. And, and you have to focus on that. So it's now revenue operations, not just sales operations or service operations, it's revenue operations. And, and, uh, and it's, it's, completely changing the market. But I also think that it's a new, it's, this is a new concept to a lot of people too. Mm -hmm. And, but that, that model is, um, is going to just continue to expand because a lot of companies are grasping that, that, that partnership between data and and art is, um, it's key. I I wouldn't be able to do my job without it. That's right. In fact, when I got there, I said that's number one priority. That's perfect. Thank you. Um, I guess going a step further, you know, one of the target personas for you and for SalesLoft is the RevOps, right? Or the SalesOps leader. Um, your team yeah. probably talks to operations leaders quite a bit during deal cycles. Yeah. So have you seen, I guess, what changes, if any, do you see from a prospect perspective or even, even a buying decision perspective when it comes to the function or role? Like, are you seeing an evolution at all around the operations, uh, kind of the persona and their, I guess, more of there from a uh, buying decision or I guess maybe authority perspective? Yeah, I mean, de- definitely a, from a, an authority perspective because like the RevOps leader helps set priorities for the revenue organization that align to the company. Like where, where are you going as a company and then what are the revenue priorities that are going to align to that? And um, that that in my view, the revenue operations leader should have decisions to be able to, to make those decisions. Like and a lot of times when I first got here, when everybody was coming to me to make up, make decisions and I didn't have enough data to be able to make decisions. And, and so um, the revenue operations leader is in a position that they have authority to make those decisions. And so I, I think it's important to understand a lot of people try to sell to the revenue operations leader, the same way they would try to sell to a sales leader. Mm-hmm. And you have to understand what the revenue operations leader truly cares about. And, and they don't just care about, in my perspective, um, what you're going to help them solve, but more about how you're going to help them solve it. How are you going to make them successful? And, um, and how are you going to fit into their, into their technical architecture? To, to improve and to drive efficiency. And so, so what resources do they also need to be successful? Not just what, but how, and then how is it going to fit into your environment? So it's, you have to think about how to sell to a revenue operations leader very differently than how you would think about selling to a CIO, selling to a, a first-line manager, a second-line manager, a CRO. Yep. Um, but it's, it's, if you, have to fit, you have to figure that out. A lot of people make a mistake when they feel like they should just sell the same way to the same, to different people. Right. <laughs> That's right. So great. Thank you for that. Um, so I guess let's pivot a little bit more around the sales loft's 
um, culture, right? So aside from the great product, the customer focus that we've already talked about, um, SalesLoft has been recognized for having a great culture, right? Highly rated by the employees themselves. So everyone knows happy and engaged employees are going to be more productive. So from a revenue organizational perspective, kind of looking at your organization, how do you keep your team engaged and motivated, right? Especially in this crazy environment of everybody working from home, there's family, there's kids, there's dogs, right? We were just talking about sort of the dogs earlier before we started the session, but with everybody home, like how do you keep your team engaged and motivated? This is probably the hardest part of my job. It's hard. And when you have to acknowledge that yeah. and what, what worked for you six months ago, 10 months, you know, a year ago, it doesn't mean that's going to work today. Because even now, if you think about what COVID's done, is like the first few months, people were just adapting to it. And you had virtual happy hours and you had all those things. And people got tired of those virtual happy hours. And then you have all hands and you have. And so uh, you have to, to really think about um, how, to, how to invest in team health. And one of the things that we've done at SalesLoft, and I've never seen this before, but we have rest days. days. So every other Friday is a rest day. Actually, now it's one Friday a month is a rest day, and then one Friday is a focus day. A rest day is rest. A focus day is no internal meeting. And people, you have to do it. Like, I've got to do it. I can't be sending emails. I can't be, you know, like, everybody has to really do it. And, um, and so that's one thing. It's just giving people that time off. And I felt that that would impact our productivity. In fact, it improved our productivity. Right. Um, you know, the other thing is finding ways to invest in, in um, like people want, sometimes I feel like people want, you know, purpose more so than they want and recognition more so than they want compensation. Mm-hmm. So finding ways to invest in people and in training and in, um, and development is really important and, and doing what you can to try to make it fun, but also to change. Like it was the virtual happy hours and it was the all in meeting. We're, we're really trying to think about how do we change the way we communicate with our team? So it's not just another zoom meeting, right? So it's something that people get productive out of. And it's, it's a really hard thing to do. It's tough. It's something we, we constantly think about. Um, and we spend a lot of time at the executive leadership team, you know, really, really talking about it, and um, and it's it's a it's a big priority of ours because that that has been a big differentiator. Like our office culture was a big change for us, mm-hmm. and I mean, there's the typical things like compensation and motivation that you have to do. Right, people can work from anywhere, so you have to to do that. But you have to find ways to invest in your team, and and that's going to be a big focus of mine this year is to really figure out how to do that. I have almost 300 people on my team that I've never met in person. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Well, whatever you guys are doing over there, you're doing a great job because you can see all the reports from how happy your employees are. Um, and then I have fun too. Like on LinkedIn and like propose creativity and like yep. come up with ideas. And I saw someone, they were, they lost a bet and they had to sing some song. On LinkedIn the other day. <laughs> yeah. Our team does a really good job with, we do, I don't know if you've seen Tom Boston or Jay Warden. Do oh, I love stuff. Tom Boston. I need to get him on this podcast. <laughs> Dave Warden's Charlotte Johnson and uh, Ellie Twitter. They do some really creative things on LinkedIn. That's awesome. I'll have to check that out. Thank you. 
Um, mm -hmm. So as I think about the revenue engine, right, in this podcast, I really hope that others will be able to learn how to accelerate revenue growth, right, and power that revenue engine. So from your perspective, you know, what are some of the key elements that you think have really contributed to the high growth that Sales Loft has experienced? Is it like one or two things that you think you're really doing right? And I think I kind of know what your answer is going to be, but I'd love to hear it. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of it is like we're shifting from selling a product to selling a journey. And, and it's you know, like we can become a hundred million dollars by being great at selling product, but to deliver customer success is what gets you to be a billion dollar company. And, you know, we, we care and we're going to continue to put, I know I've said it a lot, but focus on how we're going to help the customer successful and like, if we can help them do well and help them get promoted or help them advance their career, like you're, you're building relationships for life. Right. And so we, we do really focus on it. And a lot of people when we're in, in relation, you know, when we're in talking to customers and they might say, what makes what they ask me is like, what makes you different? You know, what I'll say is like you're going to be, you can be successful with whatever technology you pick. Like we have great competitors out there. What's going to make us different is that we are going to, care about your success more than anybody. And sometimes it's hard to show in a, in a sales cycle, <laughs> but if we do it right, we'll have our customers talk to our customers and they'll be able to tell them that that, that is in fact true. Yeah. And so, so that, that, that's always what it's going to be. And, um, and by caring for our employees and caring for our customers and our partners, partners is another key component of it. Mm -hmm. um, to scale, but but we're, we're going to innovate as well. Like we're going to innovate our product and we've got some really incredible capabilities coming out. And I feel like personally, we're going to completely change the market with where we're going. So there's some really exciting growth coming here in the next uh, every quarter now. And, um, and so, you know, we're just going to continue to invest in that. And, and the other thing is, is we're going to be focused. Like we're, we're, we're going to, we're not going to, do 20 things. We're going to do three things really, really, really well. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Um, I guess looking back sort of at your career and sort of your own personal journey, is there something that you wish you knew earlier or maybe that you would do differently if you had to do, go back and do it all over again? You know, it's, it's, I, I, I think about, I think about that a lot. Um, you know, there's going to be, there's going to be a time in everybody's career that people make a decision based on emotions, not on like, like I'm running away from an opportunity versus I'm running to an opportunity. And, and there's been a, a point in my career where I was to a point where I was running away. And if I look back and say, did I make the right decision by running away from the opportunity I was at? Would I have done it again? I question my decision. I don't know, but if I didn't do it, I may not be in the spot I'm in right now. Yeah. And so the, the thing I, I really try to be thoughtful about is making sure I'm not running away from a situation. I'm running to a situation. And, um, you know, that's everybody in, in their career is going to run into that at some point because you might have a bad day. You might have a bad meeting. You might have a bad quarter. You may have a series of bad things and you might not want to face something and, you know, it goes back to a, a big part of our culture is, is like, think about the positives. And, um, 
you know, like what's going on with my life right now, being in, in Austin with this crazy weather <laughs> and everything shutting down. And you could think this is the worst situation. What am I going to do? Versus like, how am I going to make the best of this situation? That's awesome. And, um, and I think in a lot of cases, like I've made decisions based on earlier in my career that I may have wished I held on a little bit longer. But you know what? If I didn't make that decision, who knows if I would be here? Like, you ever see that movie, uh, Lighting Doors? No. You never seen it with Gwyneth Paltrow? So it, there's the movie is about she walks onto a train, and or she doesn't walk onto a train. So the movie starts oh. when she walks onto the train and it shows her life when she walks onto the train. Uh-huh. And then the other part of the movie is she didn't walk on the train and it shows where her life went because she didn't get onto the train. Got it. So kind of like. If you didn't make the decision, would I be in the position I wouldn't be in now? And I'm so it's hard to say. Yeah, definitely. What is that movie called? Sliding Doors. Oh, Sliding Doors. Okay, I'm gonna have to look that one up. <laughs> That'll be an interesting one. Yeah. So, so thank you so much for joining me, Steve. Um, you know, but you know, obviously, I really appreciate your time and spending with me and kind of sharing your experience and knowledge. But before you know, as we wrap up and before I let you go. There's two things I'd love to know. Mm-hmm. One, what is the one thing about Steve Goldberg that others would be surprised to learn? Yeah. And two, what is the one thing you want everyone to know about you? <laughs> and you could so, take some time to think about it if you'd no, like. <laughs> I'll, I'll answer the, the first thing to mind is um, I, I love doing yoga. Oh, that is a surprise for me. I had no idea. I absolutely love doing your power yoga vinyasa. I'm not that good at it, <laughs> but you know, I, I love doing it. And, um, you know, it's like making time. I, there was a point where we were able to go to yoga studios. I would have to make an hour a day and it was in the, and I always had a time slot where I would go. And if I didn't go, I was miserable. And my <laughs> wife knew it. But everyone knew it. I was, so I, I would, I would have to go. And, um, I miss, I miss that. I really do. I have a Peloton now I use all the time, but I, I miss going to the yoga studios. Nice. I really do. Um, and, and the thing that I want people to know is that um, I say this at all hands and I say, I try to say it quite a bit is that everyone's got to take advantage of the time they have right now, because with whatever company you're at or wherever you're at in your career, um, get to know people that aren't in your silos, like take advantage of people now because people move around jobs and their careers. And, you know, you'll be, somebody will be 10 years down the road or 20 years down the road and they'll, they'll, they'll wish they had a couple conversations that they didn't have. And, you know, a lot of people are building relationships they have now that are going to last a lifetime. And what I want people to know is like, reach out to me. And cause I want to get to know more people and, and, and I want to be able to like impact people's careers and impact people's life. Like the mentors that I've had in my life. And, and I had to, I was a pain. I wouldn't stop calling Dave. <laughs> I wouldn't stop calling Jim Steele. I wouldn't stop calling Susan St. Leisure. I still call them all the time. Yeah. Patrick Blair is another one. Like, and and just just do it because if you didn't, you wish you had. Because there's a lot of people you can learn from, 
And so what I want people to know is whoever's like listening to this, that's not even in my network right now. Like I, like you and I, you know, I'm, I'm this, I, I, how we met, yep. you know, and um, these are the relationships that really matter. And, and those relationships matter to people. So that's what I'd want people to know is do that. And if I can be of a mentor to anybody else, um, I would love to do that. I'm, I'm sure you're going to get hundreds of requests now after this airs. I hope so. I mean, I, I, I'll do, I'll, I would do my best um, to do that. So uh, that's awesome. That's what I'd like to think about. That's awesome. I love that, Steve. So thank you again for joining me. As always, a pleasure to chat with you. I'm so incredibly grateful for your time and again, for sharing your perspective and just your experience. So thank you. Absolutely.